Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. So today I'm going to talk to you about the the role of management consultants in a Fortune 500 company. And, and where this podcast comes from, a few days ago I was um, traveling to um, California and I was at UC Berkeley. And one of the professors is a friend of mine, so I, you know, went to visit him, and we were having coffee, and it just so happened that that turned into lunch, and it it ran into his class discussion, and he invited me to to join him for the class discussion, which is, if you know me, you know I hate attending events, and I would, if I can help it, I would never go. So I must attend to, I must apologize to my friend for actually, you know, taking over his class and running it for him. But the point is that. In the in that discussion, it, it was an operations class, uh, or well, some type of operations class. I'm not exactly sure, but they were talking about um, major operational improvement programs that have been running in the aviation sector and the mining sector. And basically, it was about you know the the efficacy of those programs. And the the, the class discussion veered towards. Um, 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 the role of consultants in generating that kind of change, and you know, the professor turns around and says, "Well, we just happen to have a you know former partner here from one of the you know major consulting firms, so he can talk you through what happened." So I, you know, I didn't want to stand up, but I was forced to do it anyway. And we had a quite interesting discussion. So one of the things that struck me as quite odd about that class discussion is that for just about everyone in that class, by a show of hands, and there must have been what 90 people in that class, they all believe that. When McKinsey or BCG goes into a client like, I don't know, uh, BHP Bulletin, JP Morgan, whatever, and does a strategy project for them, the client is abdicating the entire strategy thinking to McKinsey or BCG. And, and I pointed out to them, well, firstly, that is not true. And secondly, you don't want a client like that because a client that is abdicating their strategy to consultants is raising a whole host of red flags. And I then took them to a story of one of my own experiences when I was a principal junior partner. It was early days of being a principal. And I was one of two junior, there may have been three principals on this project at some point, but throughout the majority of the project, there was two two principals and there were something like three senior partners working on this project, right? There may have been more actually. Now, I'm going to take you through the same story to to exemplify the role of consultants and, and the best role of consultants in an organization because I think it's important that you need that when you're preparing for case interviews you actually understand what consultants do and not what you think they do right so the 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 story I took them through and I'll hide some of the details here because the you know it's not a, it's not a public knowledge that we worked at this firm or, or that we were involved to this extent but anyway the client that we worked for um, was a major industrial company right and they were trying to move themselves from being a second-rate company losing market share to the Germans and Chinese and Japanese and Koreans and put themselves onto this massive program of, I think, modernization, inverted commas, but also expanding outside of their core business. And they had approached the firm about the modernization program. And we had built a great relationship with the client and we had moved in and we were working on the modernization side of things. And uh, I actually was the principal working with a senior partner, one of the very senior, senior partners of the firm to, to help the client think through their modernization strategy. Not my um, area of greatest expertise, but the sector 
or at least the client sector that this client served was my area of expertise so that's why I was involved yet yeah, to to understand the broader issues now project went very well what we were doing was it was going very well but one of the things I noticed with the um, CEO and the senior partners that they were very close they were, they were so close that I, I felt that if the senior partner attended a meeting things just got agreed and approved because the the CEO placed so much trust in the senior partner now there uh, let's just be clear the senior partner was a man of great integrity right he, he was a you know strong guy analytically um, wanted to put the clients interests first and he was doing all the right things but I don't think the client was careful enough in vetting what we were putting forward and he was kind of relying on us to to self-vet ourselves now there's nothing wrong with that if you've got the right people working there right but let's look at what happened over the next few months what happened over the next few months is quite interesting because because we're doing such a good work on the on the on the sort of modernization side of infrastructure and so on the client said oh we want to expand why don't you guys look at it as well so we had a team come in and they started looking at the expansion strategy MA, right buying and whatever i wasn't actually involved in that but you know I've interacted with the team, with the rest, with the uh, other consultants on that project. There was another principal looking after that, and so on. That started going well. Well, going well in inverted commas. It started going. I can't say if it started going well. I wasn't close enough to be involved in it. And they started running around on that, right? Uh, the modernization side was going well. Uh, we were getting the results we wanted. To some degree, I think you know it was a tough project. So I can't say that we were, you know, exceptional at doing it. But we we did what we said we would do. Uh, so that was sort of the anchor because it's a modernization project you tend to have a lot of consultants working over a long period of time and that started going well and the client said oh okay the modernization is going well we have some operational issues do you want to look at that and we looked at it so another team arrives right before long seven separate consulting teams are working at this client and I mean they're working on big issues from shared services to outsourcing to modernization to operational improvement to their corporate strategy to the acquisition strategy I mean everywhere you look and there are consultants running all over the place not to mention the fact that you know there were some of the other big firms there. I think Deloitte must have been there I think Ernest and Young was also there uh, I'm pretty sure Bain was there somewhere right you know, uh, so there was a lot of people there, but but we were the anchor. We were the guys that were sitting up front dealing with the client. Yeah, right. Now you, you now for many people, you know, listening to this blog, you'll think, listening to this podcast, you'll think, well, but isn't that the role of consultants? Consultants meant to go in there and take over and run, you know, issues. Now, yes and no. Let me let me tell you what was wrong with the situation. The first thing that was wrong with the situation was the fact that. Many times we were called into the boardroom to to present to the board of directors. Now, you know, I've read governance reports on the way boards are meant to operate, but the board oversees the CEO, who's meant to oversee the company. The board does not oversee the consultants who advise the board, who then tells the CEO what to do. So I find it very awkward to be in some of those boardroom discussions, and the CEO is sitting there quietly, and we're as a consultant presenting to the board and the board is then making a decision and telling the CEO to implement it. I, I'm, I'm very confused about our role in those discussions. Right? We were not appointed by the board. We were appointed by the CEO. Um, we are advising the CEO. We give him our advice. He's got to then make a decision on, the, on that advice. Take it to the board of directors. And he's got to give the board of directors his advice by considering all of the feedback he's received, including the ones he received from the consultants. Right? So that's very was very weird for me, uh, and I was very I was very uncomfortable about it. So you know, I made sure, and I think the senior partner was also aware of that, that we did not push any one option. We just presented the facts and said that based on 
based on on what we see happening this option will generate these results but we never said that we recommend this option we never said that because it's not our job to do that you need to understand the role of consultants we our job is to tell you what the implications of doing things but it's ultimately the ceo who has to make a decision right we can tell you that if you went down this path you'll erase profitability but your job then is to look at okay if we erase profitability is that a good or bad thing and make a judgment call now to me, that was a sign that something wasn't right at this client, right? The CEO, to me, was too hands-off. You know, he wasn't making decisions that a CEO needs to make. And it's not like, you know, you have a board meeting every week to figure out the pattern here. So, went ahead. Three months, nothing happened, right? And there was another meeting that came up where we had to not present to the board, but the executive committee, the CEO's core group. I think it must have been 11 people or something like that. So I, I was asked to go in and do the presentation. The senior partner didn't want to, well, I don't think he could fly through. I can't remember the reasons why I couldn't be there, but, but I was asked to go through. And I was presenting the way we are going, the way we had figured out how to uh, modernize their production facilities, which is basically, if you think about it, an investment schedule, right, and a depreciation schedule, because obviously we've got to figure out how we're going to pay for all of these changes. And then we were working with the operations team to see how much increase in throughput they can get to actually sell in the market and pay for all the changes. So it's, it's quite a complicated thing that's going to have tax implications depending on where we buy from, which subsidiary is going to buy the equipment, when we're going to install it, you know, when it's going to come online. There's a lot of technical accounting stuff here that we've got to figure out. Now, the part that really surprised me a lot is that when we were presenting these things, a lot of it sounded like the CEO had never told the CFO about it. And, and that worried me a lot. And I was sitting in that room and, you know, we, we never wanted to educate the CFO about how we were thinking through the accounting issues because I'm pretty sure she could have, well, sorry, he could have schooled us in what was happening. But that's what was happening. And I remember sitting there and the CFO asked his questions and I'm thinking to myself, but these are questions that we had discussed with the CEO four months ago, you know, and I had to take off my jacket because I, I knew this was going to be a long discussion, to sit down, pull out some sheets of paper and work through some of the stuff with that. And, and the reason I did it is not because um, is not because you know we we typically do those detailed calculations in front of the executive committee. No, because it was very apparent to me that the executive committee did not know what was happening with the project, and and I had to make a judgment call. You know, do I call the senior partner and tell him, look, you know, there's an issue here, but or do I just deal with it? And I felt that I had to deal with it because you can never ever do the client wrong by making sure the client understands everything that's happening. And you know, the CFO was very nice about it, asked a lot of questions, at the end of the day agreed with us, but it was another warning sign for me that there's something not right here, right? So anyway, we are progressing, we are progressing, we are progressing, and we then come to sort of the, the, the quarterly update for the client. Now, we're not involved in the quarterly update when, you know, frankly, we, we don't even want people to know we are there. And, and the client does this quarterly update and, and I remember very clearly the chief operating officer coming to us and saying, hey, you know, we, we rolled out this initiative. Do you have any numbers to show if it's working? I think to myself, but how can the people who are getting money from implementing the initiative give you numbers to show it's working? That's that's a bias. I mean, obviously, we'll show you it's working. You shouldn't be asking us for that. You should be going to your operations team, whether it's operations finance, and asking them to generate the numbers so that, you know, they can corroborate whether what we're doing is right. And and it, it fed into this broadening narrative of a CEO who is so enamored with these consultants uh, that... I don't think he's relying on his executive team to run the company, but I actually 
personally believe he's outsourced his executive team to the management consultants. And the management consultants are not... Re so when I sat down on a piece of paper and listed all the projects we're doing, hmm, this fits neatly into each role for the executive committee. We were working on the organizational redesign. We were working on the talent development. I mean, basically, what the CEO had done, he's assigned consulting teams to do the most important things that he thought his executive committee should be doing. And... and you know, initially, that looked like a good idea, right? Because we thought these were all important things. We wouldn't have done the work if we thought it was not important. But we fully expected that the CEO is going to keep his executive committee and board appraised so that they're not going to come into meetings unaware of what's happening. So the big concern, and I remember actually, you know, at six, seven months into the project, sitting down with a senior partner, I said, I think we've got a problem with the client ship because I don't think the client is vested in this. And there's a lot happening. But because no one's controlling it besides us, we're ultimately the people running the company, so we've we got to figure out what's happening here, right? Now, I was unfortunately, maybe, given the role of troubleshooter here, because I mean, my career has always been a troubleshooter, go in where there's problems and fix it, right, for any client. Even when I was a principal, they'll parachute me in there to get the job done because, well, you know, I like doing those things. So anyway, I was sent around to each of the projects to kind of to see whether there's the right governance in place to make sure that the you know principals were working with the uh, executive vice presidents or the you know man management committee members and I, well in inverted commas they were working with them but I don't think the I don't think it was a consultant's fault but I think that the executive committee members uh, we have to believe that these projects didn't report to them they reported to the CEO and they were not involved they were not even attending meetings so there were some really important decisions being made on leadership development, on how the top 200 executives would be trained, how their rotation into roles would run, and the EVP for HR wouldn't attend the meeting, the EVP for uh, procurement wouldn't attend the meeting because he didn't think that it's something he had to worry about. Now, I personally felt we could manage all of that. As consultants, we're aware of the disconnect between what was happening on the project and what was happening with the management committee and the board, and we could have brought it under control, right? But that wasn't what was bothering me. What is bothering me is that if the CEO was managing the company in such a dysfunctional way and, and basically outsourcing so much to the consultants, it scared me a lot because it, in, in a manner of speaking, that's a very immature CEO. You never outsource anything to anyone that's a core to your business. You bring it tightly under control and you manage it. Now, I would like to say there's a nice ending to this story, but unfortunately there's not because this blew up in a magnificent way for us, you know. It blew up so badly that... I'm not going to go into the details because I think if I give you the details, um, you can identify the client. But basically what happened is that, you know, in a few, sh sp in a f in a few months, you know, you had complete executive turnover, the the uh, board of directors being replaced, most of the key members being replaced, the chairman being replaced, the head of the um, uh, remuneration committee on the board being replaced, the head of the risk committee on the board being replaced, the CEO gone, chief operating officer gone, CFO gone, chief procurement officer gone. It was a, it was a huge mess. Now, why did I say, why did I give people the story? The reason I gave people the story in the class was that because I wanted them to understand that a really good client relies on consultants, but he uses them as a scalpel. He will tell a consultant, okay, I want you to tell me what is the best schedule to modernize my facility, right? That's what I want you to do. He's not going to come in and tell the client and tell the consultants, okay, 
we're going to modernize our facilities. I'll give you everything to do. You tell me when to do it, what it will cost, how we should do it. That is a client that is not in control of his business. Because when you're abdicating, or when you're sorry, not abdicating, when you're outsourcing such large, par large parts of your business away to someone else and you don't have control over it, then exactly what are you controlling as a CEO? You know, what decisions are you making? A CEO needs to have his eye on everything that's happening. It's very important. And he needs to be taking scalpel-like input from specialists, aka consultants. But he's not meant to take away to, to tell the consultants, okay, off my chessboard of my company, you're going to control 30% here, 10% here, 5%. Eventually, you know, you've outsourced 80% of your business. There's there's a number of reasons why that's that's a bad idea. Firstly, it alienates the executive team. Comf I mean, we've seen that with this client. The, the executive team was completely alienated. But, but at, you know, at one point. I truly believe the CEO thought that the consultants were going to save the company, which they couldn't. It's, it's impossible for consultants to save any company. We can only assist. And I'm, I don't think he really felt his executive team could do anything, so he gave it all to the consultants to do. And I think in his mind he was thinking the consultants would fix the problem and, well, if the executives didn't like it, they could leave or they just had to follow it. But he didn't realize that we had to work with his executive team to implement a lot of these things, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is that it is not the job of consultants to make the life-changing decisions for a company. I know everyone thinks that's what management consultants at McKinsey and BCG do, but we don't do that. We, it is so rare in our life that we go in and get told, develop our strategy from scratch. Hell no. We, it's rare that we do that, right? I'm not saying we don't do There are a lot of projects that we did like that, but, we ha but in those situations, we've had CEOs who are in control. Now, that's the key thing. You can have a project that's very vague and controls a lot of things, or you can have a project that's very specific. Now, the scope of what the consultant is managing is far less important than the abilities and confidence of the CEO to whom the consultant reports. If you've got a CEO who's very much in control, very much confident that he knows what he's doing and is truly making the decisions, I can tell you right now, the board is never going to see those consultants because the CEO is going to take all the information, internalize it, make a decision, and present it himself as his decision. Right? Now, I remember something Jamie Dimon once said. Uh, he said that um, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, he said that you know he, he wouldn't use any consultants except McKinsey, but that um, he will use them very carefully. And I think that's, I'm not saying he's, I can't talk about all the other issues he has as CEO, but when it comes to the use of consultants, that's what you need to understand. Consultants cannot have a free reign across an organization because if you, if consultants have a free reign across the organization, there's no, I don't like using the word buy-in, but there's no ownership. There's no belonging to the initiative from the side of employees so that when consultants leave, it all falls apart. Beyond that, I think the most important attribute for a successful consulting project is an executive team or CEO that is going to push back on the consultant and say, look, we know we brought you in to do this, you know, be very specific about answering this. If the consultants identify other areas, that's nice, and you treat that as a separate project, but you cannot be, you know, delegating or outsourcing, you know, 70, 80% of your business to consultants. That's not going to work, right? Now... When you're thinking about the role of consultants, yes, you probably are going to get exposed to projects where, you know, you are working for the board of directors, for the CEO on broad corporate strategy issues. So that's going to happen. But what you've got to be very, very careful of 
is being on it, now you have no control over this, obviously, but look at the quality and capability of the leadership team that you are presenting to, the CEO and his team. Do they take everything at face value? Because that's a terrible client. A client that just sits there and you know, drops their mouth in awe as the consultants dazzle them with these chants. That's a terrible client because they do stupid things. So, you know, they kind of get dazzled by anything, right? A client who's very measured, pointed, challenges the consultants, basically keeps the consultants on their toes. I think it's a great client because you need that balance. You know, you need that balance. I, wouldn't say, I was going to say good and evil, but I don't think that's the right analogy. But you need that balance because there's a lot happening outside of the client that only the client can inform us and they need to bring that tension to the project. But if you get into a situation where the consultants are running everything, I don't think you want to be giving yourself a high five and saying, oh, we're in this client, they love us, they trust us with everything. I think that's worrying. And if the client trusts you too much, it's a very, it's a, it's a major problem. I think every CEO should be skeptical. I mean, I personally am extremely paranoid about everything. And I think a CEO needs to be that way. You need to check everything. You need to push back on everything. You need to be very, very, very careful in how you use smart people. You've got to give them an objective function. You've got to give them a question to solve, not an area to own. There's a difference. You don't tell the consultants, go in, you run procurement, come up with some ideas for us. That's never going to work. You tell the client, you tell the consultant, okay, we want to reduce our procurement cost by 30% and try to improve customer satisfaction at the same time. How do we achieve that? That's where they have a clear objective function. But when, as soon as consultants going with no clear objective function, you know, a lot of consultants give themselves you know, pats on the backs and start dreaming of bonuses and so on, you are actually entering a very dangerous situation and you don't want to be there. So when I look at you know, great CEOs, the ones I've worked with anyway, and there are some you know, pretty tough nuts there, um, they were always in control. They always used consultants very, very carefully. And I think that is the right role of a management consultant. And when you get into the other situation, you should be extra careful because there's probably trouble coming down the pipeline. As always, if you're going to post any comments, I'll be more than happy to respond to them.